from Relay FM. This is Download, recorded Thursday, December the 6th, 2018. This is episode number 82. No, this is terrible. Welcome to Download, a weekly look at the most interesting stories in the world of technology and other stuff you care about. I'm Jason Snell, your host, and I'm joined by two wonderful guests who are hosts of their own shows, or co-hosts anyway, of their own shows right here on Relay FM. Rose Orchard is the co-host of Automators. Hello. Hello. Thank you very much for having me. Welcome back. Welcome back. And Andy Anika was co-host of Material. Hello. Hello. Sammy, I was recording my special look in the studio across the hall. I had to drop by on your taping. I hope you don't mind. And wandering across the hall from the download uh, prep room, I guess, or something like that, is download producer Stephen Hackett, who, of course, also is the co-host of many podcasts here at Relay FM and the co-founder <laughs> as well. Hi, Stephen. There's a lot of co's in my, in my title yeah. this week. Yeah, you are. Uh, you uh, enjoy a, some hot cocoa. Uh, mm. Let's go. Let's move on to a topic because this is really bad, bad, not bad. good. I apologize for that. I I, I, I regret nothing. Uh, first topic. So there was a press event in Maui this week. Must be nice. <laughs> I was talking to a friend last weekend, and he was like, "Yeah, I got a business trip this week. I got to get up early on Monday morning." I said, "Oh, where 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 are you going to have to fly to? L.A., Seattle, New York?" He was like, "No, Hawaii." <laughs> like, oh, you jerk! <laughs> you big jerk! Yes, so terrible to go to Hawaii for a junket qualcomm had its big 5g networking rollout event at a resort in maui wow uh yeah uh so the next generation cellular we could just talk about tech events in ridiculous places if we wanted to uh the next generation cellular technology it's going to be faster of course than the lte wouldn't it be something if the next gen technology was slower uh that never happens 4g tops out at theoretically 100 megabits per second 5g tops out at 10 gigabits per second so it's way more theoretical bandwidth uh real world bandwidth still to be determined uh at&t says it's going to have 5g up and running in 12 cities uh by the end of this year which is like very soon and more coming (laughs) online in 2019 so they'll have like one antenna somewhere for these zero phones that are running in 5g verizon (laughs) doing the same thing we're in the silly basically we're in the silly season where everybody's going to claim to be the first and the fastest at 5g and in fact there will be like eight customers being served by it for the first six months congratulations all of you in the admiral's club at american airlines terminal eight (laughs) in in Chicago O'Hare. If you're within 20 feet of the of the frittata bar, you've got 5G. I believe technically the first place that 5G has rolled out in the United States is the uh, the the uh, luxury resort in Maui where this event took place, um, and then it'll come to the rest of the world later, I guess. Okay. But- so, can, I, can I just say yeah. c- congratulations to all of my brother and sisters, brothers and sisters in the journalism community who are being paid so much money they can afford to fly out to Maui on their own dime. I'm just so admire, I admire all of their, uh, all of their determination here to be able yeah. to spend thousands of dollars. And to, do, to to go to the hellhole that is Maui. Yeah, I know. I right. Well, you, it takes commitment to be in this business. That's for sure. Exactly. I uh, I saw a lot of tweets of pictures of people who were just our friend Carolina Milanese is there, and uh, I saw a picture of her. She looked just very very sad in her nice <laughs> light floral outfit. With the, she didn't have the flowers on, but you know I'm sure that she was having a tropical drink. It's yeah, it's a tough tough life being a tech analyst. Um, so, but five G rollout are are 
are we excited about this? Is this, uh, I, I find myself sort of being tempered between the uh, hooray, technology marches on, and the oh boy, here's another rollout with all of the claims and incompatibilities, and new phones are going to have to be released. We've heard that like Samsung's going to release two different galaxies, uh, Galaxy S's next year, one without 5G, one with 5G. There's a possibility that you know these are going to be battery drainers and you're going to you know not be able to get the thinnest phones at first with this technology um rose what do you think when you think about uh, the advent of a new uh, you know new generation of cellular speeds well um with 4g it just kind of appeared one day on my phone and it was like oh that's cool and in reality it didn't make too much of a difference because if we're being realistic, I never stream video on my phone. I never stream music over um, LTE or 4G uh, myself. I only do it over Wi-Fi. For the people that do, I'm sure it probably makes a difference. But I do wonder for the the more average user like myself, uh, do, does it really make a difference? You know, if if I open the Relay FM website, is, is it going to suddenly be magically that much faster or am I not going to notice a difference anyway because I'm on the tram being passed between different signal towers and actually that just slows things down anyway so it's curious and also of course uh, I live in Austria so we don't even have 3G watches yet so who knows when 5G is coming (laughs) maybe this decade maybe if I'm lucky maybe Andy, you know, there, there is this practical question. It is, right, it's new tech, but it's going to potentially be compromised at the beginning. Uh, it's slow to roll out. And uh, on top of it all, it is fundamentally, it is a new product to sell to consumers. So it's a great opportunity for the carriers, I suppose. And there's been some discussion that this may be uh, used as an opportunity to get everybody to pay more for their cell phone bills. Uh, yeah, I mean, R- R- Rosemary's absolutely right. It's like there's, it's a, right now, it's, it's not a, it's not going to be like the transition from 3G to 4G where, hey, I really can't, I can't uh, stream Netflix to my phone because it's so darn slow. Right now, LTE is so fast that it's faster than a lot of people's like home broadband, for heaven's sake, that, which, which is a more of a statement about the state of broadband in the United States, I know. But uh, it's going to have to wait for people for, for people to come out with some sort of a product like two-way streaming of 4K video or a wearable where you're basically transmitting what you're watching to a friend while you're receiving what you're watching. Something that really compels people to uh, really, really need that kind of speed. Uh, and I don't think that people are going to want to spend, as you say, more money for a, a faster connection that they're not going to see any actual benefits from. There's so much competition as it is. Uh, it's, it's, it sounds bizarre that there is competition that is actually driving prices down uh, to get more uh, to get more people to sign up or to switch to other carriers. Um, and then you get to the problem of how how much build out there's going to have to be to even make 5G work. It's not like uh, these are the, the thing is that uh, you can't just simply upgrade existing towers. You're going to have to build like little towers everywhere to make 5G work, not only because of you don't get that much distance, but also you don't it doesn't bounce off of buildings as well right. uh, as LTE does. So I don't know. I think I think that I, I can't predict what 5G is going to be important for. I think it's going to be more like um uh, the the chips that uh, that Qualcomm was introducing today has both have both 5G and 4G 
Uh, it's built into the CPU. You'll still need a 5G modem on the phone in order to work. Um, I, it's easier for me to imagine a phone that says you will are you will have 4G for pretty much everything, but when you want to use it as a mobile hotspot, if you are in a location that has 5G reception, then oh my God, you'll be able to you'll be able to sync your to to do uh, like uh, cloud backups of your uh, of your laptop uh, to Backblaze really really quickly. It'll be practical and it'll be functional. Um, it's it's I I have to come back to the to the fact that I don't know how it's going to work but i'm pretty sure it's going to be not like the transition to from 3g to 4g now one of the things that's happening is that apple has said that it's going to sit out the first year of this transition the reports are that apple won't have a a 5g iphone until 2020 at the earliest uh this is an interesting wrinkle because um in the past apple has done exactly the same thing with the transitions to 3g and to lte where they have said we're not going to get the first cycle we're gonna it's a mess and not a lot of people use it and the rollouts are very small we will wait and we'll do it you know a year later when the time is right and of course that has not hurt them in the least of the last two times but that hasn't stopped everybody from saying oh but this time will be completely different and this is a terrible mistake they're making also the um they are in a, a real shouting match with qualcomm and <laughs> qualcomm is the big supplier of five G chips right now and Intel doesn't have theirs ready. So there's a lot there's a lot going on. Does it matter that, that <laughs> Apple, Apple is Apple does out? not comment on unannounced products unless doing so would really screw over someone we don't like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, then they're then they're in there. Does it matter, you think? No. It's it it's it, people uh, people are going to really notice if their battery life drops in half. People are not going to notice that Netflix is streaming at slightly lower bandwidth than <laughs> than they than they might have been able to get elsewhere. So, nope, this doesn't matter. I mean, people will notice if their phone doubles in price. And let's be yeah. honest, new technology is never cheap. The iPhones this year are more expensive than iPhones have ever been. If they pack 5G into it next year, we're going to be seeing, what, another $200 hike on each device? That's the point where people are not going to buy an iPhone anymore. And, of course, that comes back to the standard, cheap, off-of-the-shelf Androids that people pick up, you know, because it's on Amazon uh, Prime Lightning deal, whatever magic words they're using today. Um, you know, are these going to have these chips in in the next year two years three years you know it's certainly not right at the beginning where it's actually going to make a difference it's going to take a while to work its way through to the cheap devices too which is the point where it might reach the critical mass enough that it actually makes a difference i think another factor is too looking at the like the 4g lte transition those first phones were not good you know htc and samsung some of those guys were their first those phones were the first sort of big phones we saw and that ended up becoming a trend but that started at least in the early days because they needed to put bigger batteries in them and apple apple was i mean the first iphone didn't even come with 3g they were late to that yep. they were late to lte with the iphone 5 apple's going to do it when they can do it the way they want it to be done and with so that plus the complication of like 5g is not really a thing yet. To your point, Andy, it's going to be very slow and very expensive to roll out. I think Apple could wait a couple of years easily and it'd be totally fine. Yeah, I hate to I hate to come across as a, a little bit of a Luddite here, but I'm deeply skeptical of the consumer demand for this technology. And I think this is something that, that Andy and Rose both uh, both articulated, which is it's 
uh, is anybody who who is out there saying, "Oh boy, my LTE networking is too slow." It's I, I remember when <laughs> I got an LTE phone for the first time, it was way faster than my internet connection at the time, and I it actually made me get a different internet provider because Almost it was gallingly so. It yes, was, <laughs> it was like I can't. Okay, the DSL days are over. This has got to end. Uh, so I mean, it's great, and actually, I think one of the arguments might be that in the long run, the the theoretical speeds here are so great that if you're in a good 5G coverage area, it's going to provide direct competition for uh, cable internet and 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 wired internet because they, they can provide speeds that are comparable uh, or even faster. But I'm not sure that there's a huge clamor for it, and it's going to be a huge build-out. This seems very much to me like new technology. The technology providers want to sell that hardware. The carriers see a value in being able to boast about rolling out a new network. There's a lot of marketing involved there. And at that point, they need to spend a lot of money to try and convince consumers that they need to upgrade and they need to pay them more money. I see this as something that is coming from the tech people and the carriers and not from consumer demand, which strikes me as being it's going to be a tough sell for them. Your TV doesn't have enough Ks and it also doesn't have enough Ds. You need 8K and 3D. Feel bad about yourselves. And don't forget the HD. Are <laughs> we'll see. I'm I'm sure it'll go right. The march of progress. I'm sure that over time, five G and and people are going to be doing more on their mobile devices that want even more bandwidth. And I get it, but I I also don't see a world where people are just desperately clamoring for faster than LTE speeds in general. I don't really know that many people who need ten gigabytes of bandwidth. Ten gigabits of bandwidth anyway. Like I mean, we have big data clusters at work um, where people are transferring massive amounts of data, doing data processing. They need it. Absolutely. But like your average user, like, what are you doing that you need that much bandwidth right now? Like, maybe in the future, like Netflix will be in 5000k. Um, that, you know, that's, that'll be different. But then we're just making use of it once we've actually got it everywhere. Yeah, it's, it's, I, I'm more interested to see uh, all the people or all the industries that uh, see a brand new possibility here where uh, the ability to say, God, it'd be like we, uh, people who are fighting, uh, fighting all the fires, uh, the, 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 uh, uh, the campfire in, uh, in California, like all the people who like, build, uh, systems for like emergency personnel saying, God, if only we could like park a truck somewhere in the, at the, at the fire scene or at the emergency scene and create a really, really impressive, super high speed live stream video network so that it could actually support multiple 4K streams live from all the, all the captains of all the crews immediately that they didn't have to turn on a camera, or turn off a camera. We that much bandwidth so we can really live track exactly what's going along with putting drones in the air uh, that's that's the sort of thing i'm i'm, I'm thinking about that if uh, i don't uh, in, in terms of like a portable being able to be create a super high speed network that really really works and find people uh, find people in industries that were saying well of course you know it's, it's it's nice to think about science fiction where we could have uh we could have essentially wired ethernet speeds in the air uh, and be able to deploy that effectively uh on spot where we needed to uh but gosh that will never happen and suddenly uh it happens and now an idea on the back of a napkin starts to become a business plan or starts to become a proposal uh for funding or experimentation so i think it's it's not going to be big for consumers, but I think it's going to be interesting to see all the things that are now enabled and possible now that it's, uh, it's at least possible to build this, to deploy a truck with a 5G transponder that connects to an, has an uplink uh, to a satellite that can then 
dump all this sort of speed on an area, it's going to be an interesting thing to follow. All right. We will follow it and uh, keep our eyes on the 5G rollout as the tech media and analysts all come back with tans from Hawaii. Uh, Let's move on. (laughs) Many more topics in this topic full grab bag edition of Download. First, let me tell you about our first sponsor. This episode of Download is brought to you by Squarespace. Make your next move with Squarespace. You can easily create a website for your next idea, get a unique domain name, award-winning templates, and more. Whether you want to create an online store and sell stuff to people on the internet, or maybe create a portfolio of your work, maybe get your thoughts out on a blog, doesn't matter. Squarespace can do it all. It's an all-in-one platform. There's nothing to install. You don't have to patch any software. You don't have to maintain a computer, upgrade the software beep boop all of that you don't forget it forget it you don't have to do it squarespace does that you just use squarespace and make the thing you want to be on the internet that's it they have award-winning 24 7 customer support so if you need any help they are there for you they let you quickly and easily grab a unique domain name for your project and those award-winning templates they're beautifully designed for you to show off your great ideas you don't have to be a web designer they got a bunch of great web designers and built great templates and you get to use them for the low, low price of just $12 a month. That's how low Squarespace plans start. $12 a month. Get access to those templates. It's amazing. And you can try it for free. No credit card required by going to squarespace.com slash download FM. When you decide to sign up, use the offer code download FM. You'll get 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain, and you'll show your support for this show once again that's squarespace.com slash download fm the code download fm to get 10 percent off your first purchase thank you to squarespace for their support of upgrade download many other shows on this network but in this show it's download squarespace make your next move make your next website let's move on to our next topic it is tumblr remember tumblr tumblr which just to be clear is uh, was owned by uh yahoo which is now part of oath which is owned by verizon that's just to be clear that's who owns some questions about it on there it's a social media and uh, blogging platform it's still kicking uh but some say its days may be numbered after its announcement this week that it's going to ban all adult content from the service it's a little more complicated than that they're basically going to use machine learning to find uh, pictures and video that are of uh, nudity or sexual situations Uh, this comes on the heels of their app getting thrown out of apple's app store because they found child pornography in it which meant that their filters weren't working properly and they said they were working to get those filters working better it sounds like they are doing a bunch of filtering changes and overhauling their filtering technology Uh, you'll still be able to have your tumblr marked as adult content and only for people over a certain age but even if you do that there is a specific set of of a kind of imagery and video that will not be allowed on the surface at all it will be flagged and deleted uh tumblr says this move is designed to make tumblr a safe place for anyone who wants to use it critics say it's going to hurt the communities already on tumblr that may create or share uh explicit content and in fact i discovered as part of this story that there is quite a subculture of adult imagery on tumblr that is basically going to die because of this so i'm i'm curious what you think about this move and maybe what it says about the future of uh 
of these of these platforms there it seems like we're we're entering an era where a lot of uh f- sort of free posting platforms are either being pressured or are themselves kind of pulling the plug on certain kinds of content and changing how they police the content that's posted on their platforms andy what do you think about uh about this story yeah it's it's dangerous stuff for tumblr to be doing i can understand that they don't want the hassle of uh, being responsible for all of the adult content that's on tumblr and i have to admit that i wasn't aware of exactly how closely linked tumblr was to uh, people who are seeking adult content until all these numbers started coming out after their announcement and i absolutely support the need to cleanse <laughs> Uh, illegal, let's, without, uh, uh, taking a turn, the, uh, deeply illegal and horrifying adult content f- from any place where it appears. Again, underscoring illegal, uh, content. But the, th- uh, what I'm always reminded of is that people find s- safe spaces on the internet wherever they can create one. And when you remove all adult content, a lot of the communities on Tumblr are people who are, I never had the ability to express this side of my sexuality before, or I never had this, uh, this ability to uh, express this side of my creativity before. Uh, but now uh, on Tumblr, I can actually be open about this. Yes, underneath an avatar, but I can express myself and find people who are uh, like minded and healthy people. Uh, and, and also it lends to the continued stigmatization of nudity and the stigmatization of adult material that uh, the another stat another statistic that I wasn't aware of until again uh, other people were pointing out studies from previous couple of years is that uh Tumblr skews female and also uh, uh pornography excuse me adult material see that's I'm making the same mistake myself there's pornography there's adult material they're not necessarily the same thing uh that adult mat- uh, there is a disproportionately high number of women who are seeking adult material on Tumblr and what happens when we start to shut off this, again, this safe space for people who are not finding what they want in other places, uh, material that is not illegal, that is offensive to some people, but that's never been a reason to shut it off for everybody. And what happens when the presence of certain material on a site uh, is good for uh, arguably good for a part of society, but bad for your business plan? What's your responsibility as a company? Uh, this is a question that I don't know the answer to. And I also uh, think that everyone's going to have to start navigating this. So, so many different companies that started off as a cool idea and then developed that cool idea into a business plan, they didn't ever anticipate being part of the infrastructure of society. But when you find that your communications platform is really being used as a news network and as a telephone network uh, and as a way of contacting people in emergencies, you suddenly have responsibilities that you never signed up for and you don't want and are costing you money. And are do you and uh, as a CEO, maybe you feel they're diverting you away from your plan. But that doesn't mean you don't have that responsibility. So I really, really hope that Tumblr finds a way to accommodate more of their obligations and more of their needs finding a way to uh, get rid of uh, uh, of illegal content while also 
telling these people who are creating adult content for their own communities that you are welcome here. This is a safe space. We acknowledge that you're not doing anything bad. Uh, and congratulate. Thank you for being, thank you for making Tumblr, uh, into something unique that is actually needed on the internet as opposed to, <laughs> the usual analysts. Yeah, but so basically you're telling me that you're kind of bigger than Twitter, but not quite like Instagram, but not as, imp- not as important as Facebook. So I-, I hope they find a way to accommodate all of their users in such a successful way. Andy's made some really good points there. And you know, I, I agree with all of it. And I think, I mean, part of the problem, and this is a problem for every company out there on the internet that hosts images, um, especially ones for adult content, is this image taken with consent or without consent? Is this person over the age of consent or are they under the age of consent? And that is something that is very hard to judge without getting into contact with every single person that's in an image. You can't know that. So you have to assume that everything that is uploaded is legal. And that's where the problems start because I read an article, I think yesterday, about a woman who discovered um, uh, recently, uh, in September of this year, that in 2015, she was filmed in a shower in a hotel. And this image keeps appearing on the internet uh, with her full name next to it. And she's playing a game of whack-a-mole to try and get rid of it. But that has been out there on the internet for three years without her knowledge. Um, And I think that I think that's why they've gone with the completely nuclear approach of no, not safe for work imagery, as they are terming it, because that way it's easier for them to say, you know, like they don't have to care whether or not this has this is legal or illegal. It's just it's not available on, on our platform. Um, and as Andy said, I very much hope that all of these people find somewhere where they can express themselves and talk to other people about all the things that Tumblr has become so popular for. Um, and the other thing I thought about when I spotted this topic in the outline is um, publishers have been separating themselves from their uh, more generally erotica-based content for years. Like a publisher will have a sub-publishing company that publishes erotica to separate it because you get a reputation um, for producing content that's not, you know, not generally publicly acceptable for or however it is you want to term it. And I know that some some people, you know, when I was working as a teacher, I would occasionally get parents ask me like, do you know anything about this Tumblr thing? Like, should my kids be allowed on Tumblr? And it's like, I can't answer that. (laughs) A, because I'm not a parent and you need to do your own parenting. But B, because like, what areas of Tumblr are they going into? And, you know, how are they setting up their account? Are they saying that they're over the age of 18 already? And things like that. It's, It's a very tricky area and I understand why they've done it. It is unfortunate um, that these people will not have to find somewhere else, though. Yeah, what Andy said about online communities, it's absolutely true. One of the things that you discover, even if it's a small online community, like we had a uh, web community back at, at Macworld, a forum community, and there was a, a, another one on Mac Central that uh, we uh, we owned and operated. And what you, the lesson you learn is that you can create anything, but the communities that form don't belong to you. And in fact, you could argue that the, that at that point you belong to them. That there there is an investment that they have in you, and they make your uh, your place what it is. And so, when there is a, a sudden change of rules like this on Tumblr, they are essentially driving out um, a community that helped support them. And I think that there are a lot of extenuating circumstances here involving new owners, maybe not caring <laughs> that those uh, that connective tissue is there. 
there. But uh, this is the kind of thing that uh, you you don't a policy change like this uh, destroys communities or at least relocates them, and it also uh, leaves a uh, mess of whatever is left. And it's going to be a tough time at Tumblr, and it's not going to be the same whether it lives or dies or was already dying. Uh, you know, we can debate that separately, but uh, it's going to be a very difficult thing. And I do think that there's a larger trend here, which is you know, Andy talked about safe places on the internet to discuss things. One of the great things about the internet when you discover it, especially in the early days, was that uh, there are all sorts of people who have interests in the thing that you thought you were the only person who cared about it. And it's a wonderful thing. And that is how the internet has grown. It can be a terrible thing if you like something terrible, by the way. I'll just throw that in there. But the thing is, we, we are in an era now where the scrutiny being given to things that are on the internet and the large companies, to Rose's point, that own a lot of these places on the internet i i feel like this is this is a part of a larger trend involving content monitoring on facebook and who gets banned on twitter and all of these things are, are happening now where uh, the idea that the internet was open and isn't it nice that everybody can find a, a place even if it's often a less explored corner um the the lights are brighter the shadowy areas aren't as shadowed and this is the internet that we live in today so happy happy news <laughs> about the destruction of online communities. All right, we have much more to talk about. We will get to more of these many topics we've got. But first, let me take another break to tell you about another sponsor. This episode of Download is brought to you by Kane 11. We talked about them last week. This is the company that makes ridiculously comfortable socks in your size. How do they know? How do they know the size of your foot? The answer is you tell them. You tell them your shoe size. The fact is the socks that you're wearing right now are probably one size fits all. But you know what? feet are different sizes that's why shoes come in different sizes and the folks at kane 11 thought since we wear our socks every day maybe they could be innovated on a little bit creating men's merino wool socks with a precise fit the name comes from the 11 available sizes sizes 7 through 17 you'll be amazed when you feel the difference of socks that truly fit, I am wearing some Kane 11 socks right now. And guess what? I'm size 11, so I got really confused by the name. But it's not about size 11. It comes in all those sizes, 11 of them, between 7 and 17. They're made in the USA, engineered for a precise fit, and made with that merino wool that will keep your feet warm in the winter and cool in the summer. Super comfy. They fit great. I love them. They got stripes. Love. I love a stripy sock. Leave the boring socks behind and get some nice perfectly sized socks from Kane 11. All purchases come with a Kane 11 promise. If for any reason you don't love your socks, send them back for an exchange or return. No questions asked. Great gift for the guy who has everything because guess what? He doesn't have socks sized exactly for his feet. Once you try them, you're never going to go back to the way it used to be. Get your own Kane 11 socks in your size at kane11.com slash download. That's K-A-N-E-1-1 dot com slash download. Enter the promo code download to get 20% off your order. Kane11.com slash download. Promo code download for 20% off your first order. Thank you to Kane 11 for the support of this show and all of Relay FM. Now it's time for the story you may have missed, a story that may have flown under your radar but might be worth mentioning. And this week we're going under the sea. The Monterey Bay Aquarium has taken Apple to task for the company's rendering of the squid emoji. 
the nonprofit reported in a couple of very, very good tweets that apple squid is, quite frankly, incorrect. It shows a muscular structure called a siphon on its forehead, not behind the head as it appears on you know actual real-life squid. The siphon uh, is there to help the squid breathe and is used to expel waste from its body. I just I bring that up because there's probably a couple people in the audience who may not be as well-versed in squid anatomy as some of us are. When I read this news, I knew there's only one person who could help us cover it. Uh, Jeremy Burge, founder of Emojipedia. How are you? I am excellent. Thank you for bringing me on on a topic that I know a lot about emojis and a very small amount about squid, but I think we can get through this. (laughs) Yeah, I I was definitely on the Wikipedia page for squid before this. I was like, what does this thing do? Uh, So let's get right to this. Is it a big deal that Apple is trying to rewrite squid science? Wow. Uh, I, I like that. I like that as a, a framing. You know what? People fall down very quickly on two categories when it comes to emoji design. You get the crew who are like, this needs to be incredibly accurate. If it's not accurate, you're ruining everything. And on the other side, you get the people who like the cute emoji looks and and they're not as happy when they get too realistic. So mm. it depends on who you want to who you want to appease. Do you want to go with the scientists or the communicators? <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting. I was looking at some of uh, Apple's other animal emoji, and the octopus has four arms. The lobster used to have six, but that was fixed. Uh, where do you feel Apple lands on that continuum of like things that like this obviously looks like a squid, right? This detail's wrong uh, versus people who really want it to be correct. Like, do you feel like Apple chooses one side or the other as a general rule? I think what's being clear is Apple is moving towards realism. I spoke to Alan Dye, who heads up the user interface design at Apple. I asked him about this uh, earlier in the year and he sort of said like, they just take it case by case. Like they don't have a, I, I sort of asked something like that. Do they have an overarching rule of how do you go about a new emoji design? And he kind of, basically said they go with their gut like what do they what do they think is going to be good to represent that and might i point out that the octopus i don't know if you remember this but the octopus nearly changed there was a ios beta uh last year that had a realistic looking octopus and it changed back Hmm. slippery octopus yeah uh, that was no good the 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 new new octopus i did not like i feel like they're the current octopus that we see today with the four legs and the cute eyes that sort of harks back to the original ios emoji designs and i don't know i in my head i think that's cute and iconic and the new one they put up uh it was sort of very much like this squid it was very realistic it sort of looked like a fighter and i just thought that i I are on the side of cute emojis where it's possible to do so and and go for the realism if for some reason you need that to convey the concept. Yeah, I think I agree with you on that. You know, I, these things are so small, even in iMessage right where they get blown up bigger, but like generally they're they're very they're depicted very very small sizes and it should be identifiable at that size. Like right now in Safari I have the squid emoji page on Emojipedia up and you you guys put the emoji in the page title. So it's in the tab title and I can see it's a squid and it's probably no more than you know uh, a couple dozen pixels tall. I can I can kind of see what it is on the shape, and I, it feels like if you make the shape itself more complicated, that starts to break down at smaller sizes, right? 
Right. And uh, I, I guess the, the challenge is as well changing them. People, people kind of get around it. Once, once you have an emoji, how it is, even if it's good, bad, or, or somewhere in the middle, people get used to it and people hate change so much. So uh, <laughs> maybe part, partly because you might look at it, you might remember what that shape looks like. And in your head, you're, you're getting a shortcut. You're saying uh, that there is the squid emoji. Even if you can't actually make it out in every instance, you just kind of remember that that's the approximate pose it took. And if they changed it, maybe you wouldn't recognize it anymore. Yeah. I do feel like they could, if Apple wanted to correct this, they could just get rid of this little muscular tube thing on its forehead and like it'd still be a squid, right? We're not talking about adding legs or changing the stance. It's just a small detail that may actually make it cleaner at smaller sizes. Yeah, I mean, that's fine as well. There will be some when you're designing a set of 2,800 or so different little images. You're going to have a few that, yeah, it went to one person and someone else looked at it and said, that's fine. You know, not every one of them has had an entire team all around it and experts. So, yeah, (laughs) if it makes scientists happy. I mean, Apple's done it before. The paella emoji, when it first came out, it had ingredients that in uh, Valencia, in Spain, they, they felt like... They invented the paella and they said, well, we've got a very specific set of core ingredients and they're sort of rabbit and they're beans and everything else with shrimp and all the other ingredients. They're fine, but that's not the Mm. traditional method. And Apple, this is a couple of years ago now, they just slid in. They just made a subtle change to the ingredients. No one else would have noticed, but it made the Valencians very happy. So you never know. They could do the same thing. Yeah. I think we can all agree on that. I'm looking at the squid page. The Emojidex version of the squid emoji is terrifying. <laughs> it's like it's like coming at you with its arms raised. It's very upsetting. The Emojidex set is interesting that they they kind of all the other vendors look to each other to kind of get an idea of look, we want to make sure we want to do our own thing, but we also want to make sure we're sort of in line with what everyone else is doing. But mm-hmm. Emojidex they don't give a damn. <laughs> They're doing whatever they want to do. Uh, if you look at their ghost emoji, they have this horrifying sort of uh, soul-sucking ghost there. That they, they are the emoji purists. They will do what they want, and too bad if anyone else yeah. doesn't like it. Oh, my it. gosh. What? This is horrifying. <laughs> All right, that's going to go in the show notes as well. So people can go look at that and then have... Uh, they go have nightmares, quite frankly. Uh, yeah, so that that's their deal. Uh, well, you know what? Before, when I was just looking at this, I was looking a bit back at some other emoji changes that have sort of made people happy or not happy. Everyone remembers the Google Burger emoji yes. gate of 2017, yeah. where there were complaints that the cheese was on the wrong side of the burger patty, and mm-hmm. Google did change that. Uh, there was the lobster that people complained about, Emojipedia's sample artwork that we'd missed off a leg, apparently, or two legs, as we'd learned. Uh, we fixed that, and, and by the time Apple came out with their first lobster, they were happy. I can tell you there's... Uh, I had an interview with CBS where they were asking me about the crashy plane emoji. It was tilting down too hard. Looks like it's about to crash into the runway. (laughs) That's a tricky one because planes look the same when they take off or when they land. They kind of are almost horizontal. They they almost look flat when they're landing because so that's tricky. And I have to say there's one campaign that has been at mentioning me nonstop for about a month now and they're not getting any traction on this. They're, They're upset that the mosquito is missing one leg on Mm. Apple's new emoji set. I don't know if you looked at the mosquito. It has five legs on Apple's emoji set. Apparently, it's meant to have six, and they've been very keen to get some motion behind it, but everyone hates mosquitoes, so why do we care? Well, I'm glad you're here to keep all this straight for us. (laughs) 
<laughs> Someone has to. Yeah. And if uh, Apple gets around to changing the squid emoji, we'll have you back to talk about it. I'd love to. I'd love to see what the correct squid nose looks like. Yeah. <laughs> Before we uh, cut you loose, where can people find you online? Uh, find me at Jeremy Burge or for just emoji stuff at Emojipedia. Great. Thank you so much, man. Thank you. Okay, from that we go to uh, our next full topic. Uh, another day, another dead Microsoft browser. <laughs> Edge is on the chopping block, or at least Edge as we know it. The Microsoft oh, Internet Explorer replacement being powered, uh, being replaced by a rendering engine, uh, the Chromium engine, which is found at the heart of Chrome, instead of Edge HTML, which was the uh, Microsoft-designed engine uh, that, that uh, was designed to be fast and lightweight and has sort of been ignored by a lot of users. Microsoft uh, seems to be uh, deciding that it's going to embrace that Chromium engine, which means their web browser will be much more sort of standard and they will have to do less work. Chromium itself, I believe, is a spinoff of WebKit, which means that the uh, old KHTML project has now swallowed the entire world, um, <laughs> yep. which is pretty good. Uh, it is being apparently built, uh, the new version, as a standard uh, Win32 desktop app rather than a UWP app, which has some interesting ramifications for that new version of Windows that might exist that won't run Win32 apps. Not sure. And that there will be a Mac version of it because they could do that now. Uh, big change for Microsoft and interesting, like the idea that maybe the world has decided that um, battling browsing engines is not the way that this should work, because everything is now sort of coming from one kind of related set of technologies. Uh, Rose, what do you think about this story about Microsoft uh, kind of throwing in the towel and building its own uh, HTML rendering engine and, and going all in on Chromium? As a web developer... Yay! Uh, so this is um, why I you know, ask. Those, yeah. So uh, for people not familiar, I develop stuff for the web, and it makes my life much easier when I don't have to test 8 billion and 1 different web browsers. I mean, as it is, I'm lucky enough that my boss is happy that I say, hey, test it on the latest version of Safari and Chrome and it works. Um, and I do get the occasional person running like Firefox 4 or something and says, you know, this doesn't work. And it's like, okay, well, you can go stand in a corner until you've upgraded your web browser, please. But <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's, for every web developer out there, especially the ones not as fortunate as myself to have a boss who's like, okay, if it works on the latest Chrome and Firefox, you're good. Um, it's it's important to make it easier. And hopefully it will also uh, make a little bit... Let me try that again. Hopefully it will also bring some positive things into the accessibility area because I know accessibility is a big challenge in a lot of areas, including the web. And... Uh, if we are just developing essentially for Chromium-based stuff, then it will hopefully be nice and easy to include all of this good stuff that makes websites and other web applications actually accessible to everybody. And uh, also, this is going to work on the Mac, which will mean that I can test it without switching to my virtual Windows machine. So, uh, yay, I'm very happy about this. Yeah, I mean, that's everything she said. It's like the, because Chrome is now an app platform, uh, and so this is nothing but good news for everybody who use everybody who develops web apps, excuse, everybody who uses the web. Uh, so this is pretty much just a good, just good news uh, for, uh, uh, for everybody. And the other, and the other really great, uh, add on effect is that every time I talk to developers, they, uh, I'm, I'm talking about like having lunch and just talking about like how life is going. Uh, the frustration that they have with their jobs, with no matter what kind of stuff they're developing is the conflict of 
they have to they want to spend all of their time adding features and refining features and uh, doing things that directly help the user but they're also forced to spend at least half of their time doing things like okay i got to, unfortunately it looks like that uh, there's a web browser out there that doesn't work with this thing we're doing so now i've got to spend some time not improving my product but improving its uh, its uh, compatibility with this other browser or making sure that uh, this print architecture that some company has developed uh apple uh, that you now have to that you now have to be compatible with that no i i was gonna i was gonna put in this wonderful new filter so that your text would automatically get reflowed and reformatted the way you like it but we have to make sure that's going to comply with this new api that's just been updated so on top of everything else, I hope it gives developers more time to focus on uh, the stuff that really, really uh, makes life wonderful for users, as opposed to let's make sure that we've got <laughs> like let's let's make sure that we've got uh, our open doc container HTML working correctly before we actually allow people to boldface text in our text editor. Uh, yes, yes, definitely. That is a pain point for every developer. You know, you've got different platforms that you need to develop for different screen sizes, all that crazy stuff. And if we can reduce at least a little bit of that, it makes everybody happier. And also it makes the end user experience so much better because they don't have, hey, this weird thing happens whenever I click on this button. It's like, okay, well, that's not supposed to happen. <laughs> Thanks, Microsoft. This does mean that uh, Apple is now uh, more of an outlier, even though, of course, WebKit comes from the same general place as Chromium. Um, so that, that'll be something to watch about how Apple is, uh, is approaching this Apple, you know, Safari doesn't behave like Chrome in a lot of cases. I mean, I, Rose knows this, <laughs> uh, as a, as somebody who has to launch, I, I'm a, uh, I'm actually a Safari first person, unlike, mm-hmm. uh, some people on this podcast, I think. Hi. Hi, <laughs> but uh, I have to switch to Chrome for a whole bunch of stuff that because Apple has failed to implement, you know, WebRTC and all sorts of other things in WebKit that that Google prioritized a while ago. So, you know, I, I like that the, everything is going to be a little more standard and that everybody who's using Windows is going to see the world. Everybody who's using Windows and hasn't already switched to Chrome anyway, will be seeing the world in a similar way. But uh, I, I keep feeling like, OK, this means that Safari continues to still be a uh, a little bit weird and a little bit off brand from the rest yeah. of the web. <laughs> I, I could see an interesting future where. Microsoft does this. The new Edge is built on Chromium, so you get the you know expected behavior. But if they can make the browser itself around the engine lighter weight and you know feature rich and it's cross platform, Chrome could have uh, some competition on its hands right. where it really hasn't had that for a long time. Right, like no one is using Firefox. Safari is pretty small on the desktop. It would be really interesting to see Microsoft make a move here and you know have all the the. Common like features we expect in 2018, 2019 from a browser syncing and all this stuff, but coupled with the Chromium engine, that could be really interesting to see how that shakes out. And I'm gonna give Microsoft the benefit of the doubt. I know their their browser history is checkered at best, but I think this is a good decision. And if they can build a browser around it that's compelling, I think that'll be really interesting to see how the market responds. Yeah, I think that I think that uh, internally the code name of every single new Microsoft browser is Redshirt. By the way, uh, no one is using Firefox. Uh, bold claim, uh, I, Rose. Do you want to counter? Please email Jason. <laughs> I use Firefox at work. 
I actually, for some reason, everybody loves Chrome's developer tools, and I got started with Firefox, and I still love it. So, uh, yeah, I, I like Firefox, but I also have Chrome installed at work, obviously. So, yeah. Okay, so Rose is using Firefox. Safari first at home. Oh, okay, and and I wonder what uh, what Andy Andy what weird browser are you using? If we've got all the regular <laughs> ones covered, are you? Uh, yeah, I cab all the way. Opera. <laughs> Opera, yay. Excellent. Again, Cyberdog is a very, <laughs> very nice browser. Uh, it's a got document. a good it's feature. Great. It just needs more of us to be promoting it, evangelizing it. Yeah. It needs to be called CyberCat. Cat's on the internet, right? <laughs> yeah, they that's missed the boat there. Was, that was that was exactly. the biggest mistake of OpenDoc was not uh was not uh the rest of it, but just not naming their browser after a cat. Uh, yeah, that was the problem. That was the, that was clearly the problem. All right. Um a little more to talk about because the bag, grab bag is not empty yet. But first let me tell you about our last sponsor. It is Hollow. Hollow makes insanely comfortable buckwheat pillows. Now if you haven't tried a buckwheat pillow, they're different. They're not the usual fluffy pillow. They're super supportive. They support your head and neck. doesn't collapse. doesn't get smushed under the weight of your head like a traditional pillow. If you're having pillow problems, maybe you should try a different kind of pillow. Hollow stays cool and dry compared to feather or foam pillows. Buckwheat tends to breathe better, meaning it doesn't get all warm and humid. This is a buckwheat shell pillow and... It's always cool. There's no cool side. It's all cool. You can add or remove filling to suit your needs so your pillow can be customized to just the way you like it. People have been sleeping on these pillows for years. They're very popular in Japan, and they appear on pillow menus at fancy hotels that I never stay at, but that's what I hear. Uh, But you could try it now, too. I have one. It is totally different from the other pillows I've had. It is incredibly supportive at night. Uh, I, I think that it's actually my favorite pillow to sleep on because it's so different it, it makes a lot of sense if you're having trouble with your pillows if you're uncomfortable your neck hurts something like that uh this is a completely different kind of pillow and i think it's worth a try made in the usa with quality construction and materials certified organic cotton case cut and sewn for durability and the buckwheat is grown and milled in the u.s you're probably curious to try one right and you can sleep on it for 60 nights if it's not for you send it back for a refund go to hollowpillow.com that's h-u-l-l-o P-I-L-L-O-W dot com slash download to get your own buckwheat pillow. Hollowpillow.com slash download. And if you buy more than one, they'll have a special discount of up to $20 off depending on which size you opt for. Fast, free shipping with every order. 1% of profits donated to the Nature Conservancy. Give it a try. If you love it, keep it. And if you don't, just send it back and say it wasn't for me. That's fine. Head to hollowpillow.com slash download now. Thank you to Hollow for supporting this show and Relay FM. Okay, so we are in the golden age of streaming services. And uh, with that, some companies are looking for ways to grow revenue beyond what we're already paying our streaming services, and perhaps even when we're not watching, which is a weird thing. But, you know, never leave it to uh, salespeople to leave any stone unturned when they're trying to sell ads. Uh, Variety reports that Hulu is looking to something it calls pause ads. In short, when you pause a show, you have to pause your binge to go get a snack make a sandwich use the bathroom let the dog out whatever hulu rather than just pausing your video will pause your video and start playing commercials yay and they aren't alone at&t is looking at a similar thing for direct tv and uverse customers so i ask you all uh what is happening here the idea uh, that it, it, it does commercial 
uh, stuff infest everything over time? Or can paid services uh, be a, a place where we can fight having to watch uh, TV commercials? What do you what do you think, Andy? I have to I have to be fair here. Uh, Hulu is providing like an amazing service for free to everybody. And so they have to find revenue somewhere. And if they're not going to find places to put ads, then they're going to have to start charge. They're, they're going to have to start charging people a monthly fee of some kind. Hmm. And I'm not sure that. Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> I am paying a monthly fee of some kind. Even for the ad version, you have to pay. <laughs> yeah, it's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so no, no, this is terrible. It's see, I, I, I don't know. If, see, the the reason why we put up with like resort fees on hotels and the reason why we put up with like check bag fees on airplanes is that we don't have the option of like not going to that meeting in fr- in New York City that we have to go to. And maybe also we're not paying for it ourselves. When it comes to Hulu, there are a lot of places where I can get uh, I can get episodes of The Simpsons and uh, I'm not not going to dump my subscription over the idea that if every time every time they can stick an ad in my ears or in front of my eyeballs are going to do it but there's going to be a breaking point at which I'm going to realize that hey I wonder how hard it is to to steal content from sites on the internet and watch my and watch my television that way uh and maybe I'll be favoring sites that do not ch- uh, charge me money Excuse me, that, that do not, uh, put ads in front of my, my face. I just, I can't tell you, maybe, me, I might, I'm not saying, I'm not speaking for the entire world here, but I am so sensitive to this thing. I don't even like it when, uh, when I turn on my cable box and it gives me like 10 seconds before it puts a little pop up that says, Hey, did you know that we can now move your phone service over to like, I didn't know that, and I didn't care to know that. What I really wanted to do is to get to the Discovery Channel to watch the thing that I wanted to watch. Go to hell. Uh, and so, <laughs> yeah, it's it's like I think there's going to be kickback, and I think that this is too competitive a business for uh, for it to go the way of the airlines. Where hey, if 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 everybody's charges uh, charges fifty bucks per bag, then no one has it. Then we won't lose any market share. I think it's going to be this is going to be the opportunity for uh, HBO Go to say, hey, well, we have never had any ads even on our regular uh, subscription channel, so we of course we are offended, we're horrified. Oh my goodness. Let me get my monocle out of my martini glass and just drop straight into there to think that Hulu is trying to make you watch ads in the middle of a pausing. So yeah, I, I don't, I hope this won't go very far. Uh, I know that it would ruin my own streaming experience. I wonder if these people have never had the phone ring while they're watching television. <laughs> because <laughs> when I press the pause button, it's generally because I want quiet so that I can go do something else quickly. Like I don't want this thing to suddenly add twice the normal volume of my television to start blaring out at me. Sometimes the doorbell rings and I like to pretend I'm not at home because it's usually somebody trying to deliver a package for somebody who will never come and pick it up from me, for example. So I just press pause and I pretend to not be at home because I wasn't expecting anybody. We already see this with regular television, at the very least in the UK, in my experience, You've got the, you've got the, your volume is set. It's perfect. You're really enjoying what's happening. And then it switches to an ad break. And at four times the normal volume, at least that's what it feels like. You know, it's some singing and dancing washing machine that wants you to buy some laundry powder or something ridiculous, which I don't care about anyway. And especially if they start analyzing my streaming habits to try and determine what kind of stuff it is I'm likely to buy. First of all, I share a Netflix account with my boyfriend, so you guys are stuffed. Um, And secondly, (laughs) um, you know, like, this is creepy. 
I don't want you to analyze my streaming habits to figure out what it is that you can advertise and sell to me. I pay for services so that I don't get adverts. And I, quite frankly, like to be able to have quiet. And if they do this, then A, I'm going to start by finding another service. And if all services do this, I'm going to have to buy one of those Logitech Harmony hubs so I can program it so that when I press the pause button on my Apple TV remote, it actually sends pause and mute to Mm -hmm. the television. Because... Otherwise, somebody is going to get murdered, and it will not be me. <laughs> I have strong feelings on this subject. <laughs> I, I will throw in, and it's not technically uh, commercials, but it is commercials. It's ads for the own service, which is Netflix has decided that if you rest, uh, if if you rest your cursor on the Netflix interface anywhere for a moment, it will begin playing video with audio. And every time I'm looking around to like find a show to watch, it's it's like super stressful, right? Because it's like, no, I can't wait. I got to keep moving or the video will start to play with audio. And of course, I'm paying Netflix. I get what they're trying to do here, but I'm paying them. They don't let me turn that feature off. I can't turn it off. I can't say don't play audio. I can't say don't play video previews. They just don't care. And I think I think what we said here is right. Like there's a point beyond which it is too much that you will reach a breaking point. And I haven't reached that breaking point with Netflix now, but I I I it's very frustrating and I have taken to muting like Rose oh. has done, muting Netflix in the interface. I've got my Jesus hands in the air, like at a like at a, at a testimony. Yes, testify. I do the exact same thing, and I thought that is this something weird about my brain that it causes me stress too? Like I can't. There's, there's going to be there's going to be noise and people say and, and dialogue, and all I want to do is spend half a second looking at that little description to see if it's something. I that is exactly what I do. So too, testify. here's my movie pitch, which is. Uh, it's a remake of the movie Speed with Keanu Reeves, uh, but now you just have to keep your finger moving over your remote so that no Netflix audio previews play. And if you stop for even a moment, then the TV blows up. I don't know. I'm working. I'm working on it. It's not a very good pitch what yet. What happens if you're using one of the silver remotes with an Apple TV, though? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. All I know is I'm using my Apple TV remote with the stupid uh, trackpad on it, and it's just like I'm just swiping around. Like, look, we can't move. What, what was that one back there? I don't know. We're moving on. We got to keep moving. Uh, yeah, it's not good. So it, th- there are lots of ways where these providers are trying to annoy you. I mean, Netflix does a lot of stuff. They also uh, sometimes kind of hide your list or what you are watching because they want you to have to search for it because they want to expose you to other things that are on their show. It's all. I mean, these are all. Uh, I think dark patterns is the correct term where. It's frustrating the user in order to do something that is for their gain and not our gain. But um, they're, they're, you know, it's got to it's it's got to stop. There needs to be some con- consumer pushback for this stuff because this is all bad behavior. Whether it's a, a loud ad when I'm paused or it's a loud ad for a show when I'm just trying to find my you know the latest episode of the thing that I'm watching. It's not it's not good. Yeah, it's it's I, I I hate to put it this way, but it's like I find myself reflecting on the fact that a book doesn't usually have ads in it, and it lets me pause without <laughs> anything. It's like maybe I should be maybe I should be reading more books. Although when you turn the Kindle off with if it's got special offers, it will provide an ad for you. I see. I, I I'm I'm talking about like printed books, things uh, like that, things that very were good. made before. Well, not before right. advertising because it's that that that, that Tell me about thousands of years old. 
yeah. interesting. Inter- but, yeah, they didn't they didn't insert ads in books like comic books. They always inserted ads, magazines, but but novels. But for cool things like X ray specs, who doesn't want X ray specs? It's Come rare on. though that you would get to the end of a chapter of like Wuthering Heights and then there would be like a a, a big spread trying to sell you X ray specs. That, that, that I don't think they did that. Or it be or it be rare that like you'd pull out your copy of like Fantastic Four number two hundred thirty two and before you open the cover, it's showing you the cover of like X Men number one twenty one and then West Coast Avengers number eight, just in case you want to see those instead of the thing you actually were pulling out. Yes. I mean, have these people considered that we would pay more money to not have adverts? Like if if they need more money, why? Like it's split the Kindle. This is the way Hulu works in, in, and Hulu is, I think us only now, but, um, or maybe only us and Canada. I'm not sure, but it's, it's, uh, there are two tiers and there's a like $6 a month tier where you pay and there are commercial breaks. And then there's like a $10 a month tier where you pay and there are no ads. And I would imagine that what they're going to do is junk up the pausing experience of the people who are in the ad tier, um, and not the full tier. Uh, but it does, which is another kind of thing that may happen in the streaming world, which is you're going to create two complete, you know, completely different tiers of users, the ones who want to pay to make the ads go away and the ones who want to save money and don't want to pay to make the ads go away. The problem is, of course, that advertisers want to reach the people with the money, enough money to make the ads go away. <laughs> How does that work? Uh, it's all it's that's all a, that, to play that's for. That's a very Facebook style business plan. We can provide you with the names and home addresses of people who don't like advertising. Yeah, that's right. You can advertise <laughs> to the people who paid to not see advertising. How does that work? What well, product placement? I guess I don't know. Uh, but it is it, it it makes me wonder uh, if that is the uh, the way the future uh, is going to go. Which is uh, you just we're going to just annoy you until you pay us to make us stop. <laughs> And then we'll find a new way to annoy you, and you'll have to pay for that too. That's it. Seems like a dysfunctional relationship to me. So everybody's purchasing Plex. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, if enough people are annoyed by it, then it could become a differentiator. Unfortunately, the content is probably always going to be the number one differentiator between platforms mm-hmm. and not annoyances. Like I'm switching to Amazon because I don't care what the shows are. I just don't want those previews. It seems like somebody's not going to do that, but who knows? If they get annoying enough, maybe. Just, just quickly. This is I've started like anytime there's a movie that i really like i will like go on ebay and buy it used for even on dvd instead of blu-ray for like three or four bucks and on the on my plex server there are no ads it's all optimized towards helping me find the thing i want and then playing that thing without any mess on any device i want and yeah it's it's where i think that they're they're creating a world in which uh we have to create ad-free safe spaces for ourselves and the more annoying they get the more they're going to drive us to create these ad-free safe spaces for ourselves all right uh before we go i like to have at the end of the episode something we call the fuzzy puppy update and the idea here is that a lot of times the news of the week the tech news of the week can bring you down can make you feel sad like or or angry (laughs) angry at those pausing ads while you're just trying to focus on making your sandwich in between episodes of something on hulu we get, we're going to let you have a, a little moment in the sun, the Fuzzy Puppy update. This week, the Fuzzy <laughs> update is about one of my former co-workers, Brian Chen, who now works at the New York Times. He is a tech writer at the New York Times. He also sometimes will write about food and do recipes and stuff at the New York Times because he likes to uh, be adventurous in terms of cooking. Uh, and he's combined those into a story that uh, was just posted, I think, yesterday. It was this week about his corgi, Max. So there we got our puppy content threshold 
has been met. He tried to make Max an Instagram celebrity. Uh, he did all the homework, followed all the advice of viral hashtag dogs of Instagram tastemakers. He bought bots as followers. He did everything he could, <laughs> taking pictures of his dog with the, the meals that they made to become a viral Instagram superstar. And in the end, he learned, as he detailed in his story in the Times, that there aren't any shortcuts to viral Instagram success. It takes a lot of work. Uh, you got to work on your photography. You got to work on your posting schedule. Lots of stuff has to go into it, plus some chance, I think, in the cutthroat world that is dog Instagram. It's true. Anyway, regardless of Brian failing to make Max a breakout star, he is still a very good boy. And also, I'd imagine that the best way for Brian and his dog to add followers on Instagram is probably to write about the whole thing in the New York Times, which he did today. So he's on his way now. Now that the story is over, Max can be an Instagram celebrity. Hashtag dogs of Instagram. And that brings us to the end of this week's edition of Download. Rose Orchard, where can people find the stuff that you do? Uh, RosemaryOrchard.com is the best place to stalk me. So uh, feel okay. free to stalk nicely. Send and chocolate if necessary. Stalk nicely and also listen to automators right here on Relay FM. Oh, the yes. show you do with David Sparks. Very, very cool. And Andy Anatko, where can people find you? Uh, I'm on MacBreak Weekly on Twitter every single week. I'm on, uh, I am co-host the uh, material podcast about Google stuff. Talk about depressing news every single week. Uh, <laughs> on Relay. <laughs> Might FM. I recommend a fluffy kitty update at the end? Uh, maybe we should steal that idea. We'll, we'll work out a licensing agreement. Uh <laughs> <laughs> or or is it like Disney where it's community property and we don't have, we can just use anything in, in our shared universe? Take it with my con- yeah. It's part of the Relay FM licensing deal. You can throw it in there <laughs> as long as we pro- promote uh, Relay Infinity Wars and to do a tie-in in some way. Uh, go to anotgo.com for my blog, anotgo on Instagram, anotgo on Twitter, and wgbhnews.org for my tech segments for Boston Public Radio. Hashtag Tech Writers of Instagram. Anyway, uh, <laughs> that's it for this show. Stephen Hackett, thank you for assembling the show and making it all work and, and talking about emoji, too. Of course. And thanks to everybody out there for listening. We will be back next week. But until then, we'll keep watching those headlines so you don't have to. Bye, everybody. Bye.